Don't you think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here? I mean, only a few weeks ago, there was anarchy and civil war. It just might be a, a little bit early to worry about the finer details of the electoral system. This is our chance to create a just system. And we will, in time. But if we just stick to the basics, you know, build foundations, use our power to force some decency on them. You really think we can? What choice do they have? Without the antidote, they die. How can they refuse? Welcome to Series 2, Episode 7 of Conversation on Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Maggie. Hi. With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So Series 2, Episode 7, the screenplay was done by James Wiley. It was directed by John Reed. And the episode synopsis will be read out by Maggie. Day of the tribe leaders meeting has arrived, but not everybody who turns up is on the guest list. Lex neglects his duties in favor of hitting the gambling den, while Casey comes up with an idea to uncover the secrets of Ty Sand's antidote formula. And Jack and Ellie step up their investigation into the origins of the virus. Cool. Okay, panel, let's jump right in with the big topic, which is the tribe leader meeting. Okay, so Bray thinks that Danny is getting way ahead of herself by getting caught up in the finer details of what we shall hereby call the Danny administration. <laughs> <laughs> he reassures her that the most important thing is to get the foundation set first, which they can do since they can force some decency onto the rest of the tribes because, of course, they hold the position of power because of the antidote. So, panel, yeah, what do you make of... Danny's forceful push for peace, and do you think it was kind of worrying how Bray language has begun to change and has become more authoritarian? I, I can't handle Danny. I just can't handle it right now. Like, where did she come from? How long has she been there? And why is she all of a sudden one of the leaders? When did that happen? Is my question. And yeah, Bray, he worries me a little bit. Honestly, when he when I was listening to that and watching it this morning, I was like, oh, man, that doesn't sound good at all. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give uh, James Wiley props because I was listening to the conversations in this episode and some of the most important episodes will uh, some of the most important conversations we'll get on the thesis of the show and the season particular happen in this episode. And I, I think it, there's a very strong point that's made, as Brace says. What choice do they have? Mm -hmm. We have the antidote. Mm -hmm. They either do what we want or they die. He legit says those words. Yes. They do what we want or they die. And it's like they don't even realize how messed up that is. You aren't giving these tribe leaders a choice to agree with you. You've just admitted that you know they don't have a choice. They have to agree with you. And the fact that they're so blinded to that to what they're doing that they think it's because well what we're doing is good it's okay but you're basically t i mean we talked about that they, they are telling people you do what we want or you die yes. you know mm. and that he says it out loud and is yet still blind to how messed up that is and yet this is the sort of thing they would fight against and yet here they are the mm -hmm. ones doing it you know you you in season one you caved to the big and strong tribes because they would beat you up they would hurt you they would damage you and here are the mall rats willingly starting a regime where you either do what we want or you die 
doesn't that make them worse than some of those yeah. other tribes? I think so. I agree with that. Like, it's definitely worrying and it's disappointing to hear those words come from Bray. And it's very important that it's happening. Our protagonists are the ones doing this under the guise mm-hmm. of wanting to make the world better. You know, I'm like, she's such like, he so casually says that. What choice do they have? They don't have a choice. We are yeah. giving them a choice to agree with us. We don't care what they happen to think. We don't, we're not asking for their advice. They don't have a choice. They have to do whatever we say. Like, whew, that's deep. That's dark, man. You don't even know it. He's not that different from Ram in the later season. Yep. Yeah, that. exactly. The Marath are the bad guys. Yeah, claiming what they're doing is right. And doing it for the right reasons. I'm actually seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of things that Bray's doing now are things we later won't accept and justify for Jay. Yep. Or from any other yeah. tribe leaders, right. any other invaded yeah, yeah. tribe, we would not okay, okay with what the Marats are doing. But, you know, we're just like, well, they're our protagonists, so we're following them. And it's like, they're the bad guys, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And at this point, them, you know, saying the things that they're saying and acting the way that they're acting, they might as well just take the gifts and just take the things yeah. that the other yeah. tribe members, your tribe people are offering them because it's no different. It's no and different. forcing them to pay other than, for, you know, than forcing them to follow in line. Yep. Heck, them, them paying with items would be less bad than them being exactly. forced to pay with the way they live, their mm-hmm. freedom. Exactly. I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's actually less to charge them a simple fee of like a possession than literally giving up their rights to what they want to do mm-hmm. with their mm-hmm. lives. You know, and but the way they see it, they're they're that rationale, and you see it through the whole episode. It trickles from the very top with Bray and Danning having this messed up conversation and not even realizing how messed up it is. Yes. all the way down to like Patsy and Chloe uh-huh. rationalizing mm-hmm. taking gifts from these kids, you know, or you know, flexing their muscles in their young way, and it's just like they have no idea that they're the enemy, you know? Yeah. It's definitely, it, it contradicts what the Malrats are supposed to stand for. And it contradicts mm-hmm. what they chose to do in the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're, you're trying to protect the, 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 the city and you're trying to do, you know, the, the right thing, but you want it done your way. No other way. It's got to be the Malrats way or no way at all. And they're actually proving what Tyson said. Yeah. yeah about power corrupting. Yeah. You're right. But I also think when you bring in Tysan into the mix, you can't tell me the power hasn't corrupted her little mind, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it has. Where, where do you think this change of heart for kind of Bray has come from? Because he's always wanted a better world, but he's never wanted to push like their design so much. He's, he's, he's more like a, a step back and let things happen naturally kind of guy. Like, do you think this has all been from Danny or do you think Amber's influence has shaped this? I think Amber's influence has a mark and left a mark on him because he's tried it that way, trying, tried doing it the peaceful way, and well, that didn't work the way he wanted to. And now Amber's gone, and now here's Danny just pushing forward with a we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, and he's just going with it because maybe that way will work. I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think um, Bray definitely had the attitude that the world would get better, but he wasn't willing to actually do anything to help it get better. He was just willing to sit back on his butt and dream of this better world that he didn't play a part in making a better world. 
And uh, Amber was the one who was like, no, Bray, if you want the world to be better, you have to get up and be the change you want to see. Yes. And um, since he's only on this crusade because he's trying to make sure that Amber's sacrifice was worth it, I, I think it has more to do with Amber than it does Danny. Mm-hmm. More to do with, like, I, I mean, I'm sure Danny's pushing helps, you know, but um, I, I do think it has a lot to do with, oh, what would Amber be doing what Danny's doing? Would Amber be pushing for this? Maybe that's what I need to do, you know, and go against my own instincts because what amber would want and amber was the one willing to go out there and change the world and okay okay danny i'm with you let's do this you know mm-hmm. i agree with that i definitely think that there's a lot of amber's influence still playing a part uh because you're right she was the one that told him if you want change you have to make change you have to do something you can't just sit back and expect it to happen um <clears throat> I, I don't really know if Danny, you know, is playing a part in, in him doing this other than her just being that bird in his ear right now telling him what needs to be done. Uh, it's just, it's frustrating to to watch sometimes because it's like, all right, who's actually in charge here? Yeah, she is. She is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she wasn't even, was she ever even voted in? No, they she wasn't. Even in, exactly, but then later, mm, never mind. <laughs> He's the closest thing resembling amber that he has right now and that's why he's following her that's why that's why he's following i wonder if they're feeding on each other yeah i think he's following her lead because of that you know because danny teeters on the line of being the pushing force but always she always edges back like the writers are trying to make sure she's not the being bossy like they're you know she is she definitely is and but if you notice this an inconsistency in danny's characterization one minute she's like we have to do this bray and then bray's like okay that's what we're gonna do but then as soon as she's got bray on board with her idea then she's like but maybe we're wrong you know and i think it's the writers trying to make it so that it's not danny pushing the story forward mm-hmm. okay for example just an example danny's the one who's like we need to hold this antidote back to find out what's in it and she was totally on board on with not giving it to lex because they need to analyze it but as soon as bray agrees with her that yeah we're not giving it to lex because we need to find out what's in it she suddenly goes but what if we gave it to him what if he needs it what if this would Mm -hmm. save him Mm -hmm. i feel like they're trying to make that balance so that's like it's not danny who's bossing bray around but it totally is (laughs) it is it absolutely is like she's second she's second guessing her own actions Maybe, yeah. It is what it is, and possibly trying to, like, for them to try to make her be a little bit more likable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I can't. I can't do it. Like, I cannot <laughs> like this character right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think they're feeding on each other. Because I do wonder what would happen if Bray said, no, Danny, that's not what the Mallrats are about, and we're right. not going to do this. I wonder what Danny would do. Because, you know what I mean? Like, what she's she chose it. it. <laughs> yeah, she, she wanted <laughs> You know, because there are moments when Danny acts like she's really wants Bray's input, but then we've also seen her flip out when Bray is like, "No, mm-hmm. that's not our bag," and she's like, "Forget it, forget it, and we're not like Well, there's you know, then the typical no offense, but typical girl part of her comes out. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, fine, I guess I'm wrong. Ripping up the bill of rights. <laughs> forget it, forget um, it. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, chill. He just challenged you. That's all. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's all. <laughs> it's fine. So yeah, maybe it's just the writers trying to make her more likable so that she doesn't come off as super bossy. 
but it really does. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. It's not. And it's, it's more, you know, the tone of voice that she uses when she, that she takes when she talks to certain people and, mm-hmm. and how she's all matter of fact, like, this is what's happening because I said, this is what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And she's right no matter what, because what her ideas are the end all be all, you know, um, that's at least my take on it and how I feel about it. Uh, hopefully she came off other, you know, in a, a different way to other people, but I don't I, know. I mean, the, the writers really fail at this because like, they, yes. have her, they have her literally go in his room first thing in the morning to push this leader meeting. It's mm-hmm. like, why, why are you making her so bossy? You don't, you can hold back. You don't have mm-hmm. to f- her so much. Like she's literally in exactly. room first thing in the morning. He's half naked. And yes. he's like, right, we're doing this meeting. This is what's going to happen. Like, no, come on, hold back a bit. You like, can tell how little interest he's having in the conversation. Yeah, he's literally. Like, he's just like, don't fight with, don't fight me on it. We're on the same side. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, I don't usually like to defend the writers when they mess up, but I will give an argument in their favor for this one, only because I feel like the writers are trying to accomplish so much with Danny. Like, okay, they don't have Beth to come back. They had the storyline written for Beth. It was her. And when you think about it, all of this stuff makes sense for Amber. Like, it works for Amber. And Mm -hmm. they don't have to... We already know Amber. We know what she wants out of the world. We know what her intentions are. So all of these actions work better when it's Amber. And yet now they have to do a new girl doing it. And they recognize that it doesn't come off well. (laughs) It doesn't really work having this new stranger doing these things. It It doesn't play off the same way. And so they have to balance that. But they also want to lay the, uh, what is it? Like the, um, they want Danny to come off as suspicious. So they mm-hmm. have to lay yeah. the groundwork for people to be suspicious of Danny as well. You know, yeah, and, and, um, and why she's acting as, as forcefully as she is about certain things. Yeah. yeah, I get that. I feel like they're trying to accomplish a little too much with Danny, just a little, and they don't accomplish basically anything with her, you know? No. But that's my minimum defense for the writers. I just feel the opposite of that. I just feel like they, they <laughs> don't recognize that she's not Amber. They just threw her into it. They just really didn't do the checks and balances to what mm-hmm. that would cascade from her not being Amber. I, I just feel like, yeah, they just didn't. Yeah. yeah. Because for Amber, it would have made perfect sense to barge into Bray's bedroom at that time yeah. of day when yeah. he was half naked. She would have done you that. Know you've got this new character, so you would you would check you would just make those changes, the, the subtle changes to to incorporate his new character. I feel like they haven't done even those basic bits. No, it <laughs> seems like they just threw this character into the exact like they're like just changed out Amber's. Yeah, name. just changed yeah, the name. Like... <laughs> and I totally get that, but I do actually feel there are small subtle differences that the writers did try. Even the directors, I feel like there's there's subtle. I don't think I'm not saying they did it well. But I do see the efforts. Again, I don't think they did a great job with these efforts to distinguish Danny from Amber. But um, I do think they're there. I do think they were aware that this is a new character and she's playing a part we wrote for Amber. And there are attempts to make Danny a little different than Amber. I'm not saying it works, but I do see the efforts. Mm-hmm. It's just clumsy and messy. And it just didn't work out for him. It didn't pay off, you know. Mm. And again, I just feel bad for Ella because, like, you could have made yeah. this a beloved character and you sabotaged her. From yeah, the it's, it's no wonder she doesn't really want much to do 
with, you know, the show. All right, let's come back to Danny in a bit. Um, yeah, going to what we mentioned before, um, Chloe and Patsy, let's talk a bit about that because, yeah, Chloe does become a lot more militant about taking people's weapons when they come for the antidote. Um, and we see the scene <laughs> where she actually takes someone's bell. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah, it goes further because we then see her and Patsy just find themselves the taking of gifts and they even start to refer to themselves as princesses and queens. Mm-hmm. Yes. So your panel, how did, what did you think about that? Uh, it made me sad, to be completely honest, uh, to see them so easily like fall into that role of okay well we have the we have the power we have the control this is what we can do and and them trying to justify the way that they're acting is even worse mm-hmm. but i'm not surprised she's she's watching everyone around them you know yeah. do this and they're they're young they're impressionable they're gonna do you know monkey see monkey do it's it's gonna happen it, it goes back to that power doesn't corrupt, but it reveals. It reveals mm-hmm. who we are and what we want. And Patsy and Chloe, they're innocent. What do they want with power? Chloe, what does she use her power for? You know, she takes someone's belt away. She didn't need to take this mm-hmm. guy's belt. He says, I need it. It looks dangerous, but I need it to keep my pants up. And she's like, yeah, well, you have to give it to me. Because she's a child mm-hmm. who's got the chance to wield power, yep. you know? And that's how she uses it. She didn't need to do this. And then, of course... There they are justifying. This little boy comes up to Patsy and says, this has been in my family for generations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Patsy's justifying why it's okay to take this from this mm-hmm. kid rather than, no, you should keep that. This isn't a Game Boy. This is a freaking pocket watch from the turn of the mm-hmm. century, for Pete's sake. And Patsy's, what does she need this pocket watch for? For right. Pete's sake? It's just the power of being able to have it and to do it, you know. Yes. So even the most innocent, if they have the power, you get to see what they would do with it, you know. Did it drive anyone else as crazy when Chloe was like, "No, you need to be queen, Patsy." I'm like, isn't this isn't this girl obnoxious enough? Isn't she self centered enough? Like, you came up with the great idea, Patsy. You get to be queen. Oh, good lord. Yeah, well, I, t- I think this might have been the start of what drives Patsy to be Princess Patsy later. I know, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of foreshadowing, yeah. To be fair, though, these children at their age, they've never had any power before. They For ages, they've had to do what the bigger kids told them. Oh, yeah. And this is their first chance to you know, finally get to tell bigger kids what they need to do, like Chloe with that belt and a poor, poor trouser victim. <laughs> Right. No, I'm definitely not, you know, blaming them necessarily because they're doing what is right for their characters and it's very in character for them to to and for their do age. This. Yes. So like I don't fault them for that. It's just me being a mother and I'm like, no, child, no. But like Sabine said, they're watching their the older mm-hmm. ones that they look up to doing mm-hmm. this and thinking, Okay, that's totally cool. They're saying it's okay, so that's what we're going to do, you know? That's the thing is, Bray has been saying it's not okay. We don't take things. But they're justifying it in the fact that, well, this kid wanted to give this to me. Mm-hmm. So if I don't take it, it's going to be rude that I don't. Mm-hmm. But it's the same way that Bray is justifying, hey, I'm not asking for possessions from people. I'm simply asking for their mm-hmm. obedience. It's yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? true. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want their prizes. I don't want their possessions. I just want them to do what I ask, you know? Yeah. And that's how we rationalize it. And here, the younger ones are doing the same thing, rationalizing why this Mm -hmm. is okay to do. Yep. Let's switch to um, Jack and Ellie for a bit. There's no such thing as perfect crime. Rubbish. A good criminal can always get away with it. Speaking from experience, Casey? That's right. At least I know what I'm talking about. You just can't see any profit in it. No, but if you find anything, count me in. The two decide they need to head back to where the anchor was found in a bid to uncover more information about the virus's origins. So, yeah, panel, like, do you agree with their investigation? Like, what, what would you think about their motives here? I probably would have wanted to know, mm-hmm. you know, the truth and where, where things came from. Um... I mean, I get exactly why they're doing it. And Ellie, you know, as much as I may not like her character, this is who she is. She's an investigative journalist, right? It's what she does. She she likes to know things. I mean, more power to him, I guess. And she's always been said to be smart. Mm-hmm. Same as with Jack. So, mm-hmm. yeah, them knowing that history has a tendency to repeat itself and to actually think about that at that point in time. Yeah, it, makes total sense to me yeah yeah i actually really love that conversation between ellie and jack and how jack wants pertinent answers but ellie wants more gray area answers it's like it's great Mm -hmm. that you found the antidote but don't you want to know why any of this happened you know and as she says you know because history repeats itself don't wouldn't you like to know how that and it also and i also liked remember when we were talking about like why hasn't why didn't anyone compile information yeah. on the mm-hmm. virus, right? And and we were all trying to discuss like, well, why wouldn't these kids have information? Why wouldn't Jack have information on the virus? Yeah. Why wouldn't have Dal have collected newspapers or whatever? And when Ellie is saying this, it made me realize that these kids were this the whole world was spammed with misinformation about mm-hmm. the virus. Mm-hmm. It makes you realize nobody knew where the virus came from because the government didn't want them to. Yes. They had no idea where this came from. They had no idea. They were just, it was probably just a bunch of Facebook posts with conspiracy theories <laughs> about this freaking virus, you know? And um, so I, I, I really do like that. It just opened your eyes that nobody was ever really given the answer to the virus. It just took over the world and it killed everybody. And, um, I also love the fact that it sets up the stage where Dal doesn't often argue with Jack unless it's about a pragmatic issue. Most of the time, mm-hmm. he just lets Jack do what Jack will do. But Ellie is willing to take Jack on. Yes. You know, and call him out on his BS. You know, it's like, oh, Jack, you only care about the answers when it's important to you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the same mm-hmm. argument Jack was having with the other mall rats, you know, just so many episodes mm-hmm. before. And now Ellie's having it with him because he's just like, I give up. I don't know, you know, and then he admits I'm scared. I'm scared mm-hmm. to find out, you know, and I think that's really important to know. Again, there's just a lot of important conversations mm-hmm. happening that have historical precedence in this episode. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the continuity with Jack, you know, being scared of finding out what happened because he is still so desperate to find a living adult mm-hmm. and to think that the adults caused this yeah it's really heartbreaking for that boy you know 
the idea of Jack finding out that the things he's put his faith in are mm-hmm. the things that actually doom the world. Jack's yes. terrified of finding that out, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. I have to admit it, though. This is one of the few storylines with Ellie where I actually like Ellie. <laughs> I still don't like her. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, most of the time I don't like her, but in this storyline, specifically this episode, she's great. She is really great. She's a good contender for Jack. Yeah. Um, as sad as I am about Jack and Dal's breakup, I understand <laughs> Ellie is a better partner for him. But know? Jack and, and Jack and Dal are wearing matching makeup now, so how broken I, up are they really? It's because Dal, Dal is still trying. He's still trying to bridge the gap between he and his boyfriend. He's still trying to right. effort in, you know. But um, yeah, I I, I do like seeing this because I'm just like as much as I love Dal and Jack, I feel like if anyone was settling. Dal and Jack were kind of settling for each other mm-hmm. in other ways. And here's Jack finding his equal, you know, someone who's willing to actually challenge him in ways that Dal wasn't and um, push him and say, I'm not taking your crap <laughs> or you're being a big baby or whatever. Or Dal is far, far more indulgent. But yeah, I really do love that conversation between mm-hmm. them. Ellie's like, I'm not, it's not enough to have the antidote because we could just do this to ourselves again. We need to know why any of this happened to us so that we don't do it again. Yeah, like, considering that the virus has already mutated, do you think the two should have had more backing from the others in the mall? Like, I know they're busy with the antidote they currently have, but they should have had more support, it feels like. I think so, too, yeah. That's the Mm -hmm. thing, they don't care because they have the antidote, so what else do they need to know? Like in the, what was it, last episode where Ellie's telling Jack she cares, she wants to know. Mm-hmm. And Jack says they don't care what else is in these files because they have the antidote. And that's yep. all they ever cared about. You know, and Ellie's like, yeah. I care. I want to know what else is in those files. And that's true. There are people who, there's only so many answers they want, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's enough. Thanks. And here's Ellie and Jack. Ellie's like, nah, there's more to know. <laughs> The yeah. why is super important. It's like when we nitpick these storylines apart. We're like, ah, the why. The why the character <laughs> is doing this. We want to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it definitely shows, like, the different types of characters and the personalities. You know, like, Jack and Ellie, they, they need this information. Whereas everyone else is content not knowing. Mm-hmm. They're just content with the fact that, okay, we have the antidote. We're going to be safe. We're going to live. Why do we need to know anything else? Yeah. That's the past, right? Because, like, what if it mutates again? Or, oh, like, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you but, are absolutely right. <laughs> but for certain characters, what would that matter? You know? Like, right. take Lex, for instance. He would never even think about what the issue could become you know he can see problems but he doesn't think in solutions and he definitely doesn't think in about solutions lying in the history of what what already happened right he has no clue about the importance yeah Yeah. and and that's Mm -hmm. what i mean you know by the the differences in these characters you know um i i think that ellie and and jack definitely make a nice pair uh they're gonna do great things You're so generous, Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of people who, when they study, like, for example, serial killers, you have some people who are just caught up in what the serial killer has done. Yeah. We have to deal with the serial killer, put them away. But then you have the people who want to know why the serial Mm -hmm. killer became a killer. 
and they, they they focus on the things like their upbringing and the psychology of what makes somebody a killer and the reason they want to know is how do we prevent this in the future where most people are just like that person's bad lock them away yes. the other person's like how mm-hmm. do we prevent the next killer from doing mm-hmm. the same thing and that's very ellie like how do we stop this from ever happening again we need to find out the why you know, the psychology mm-hmm. of the cycle of abuse and on and on and on, because most people just don't think about that. They don't care about how their actions may have played into this terrible thing that happened. They just, let's deal with a terrible thing. And it's just like, yeah, you're going to make another Voldemort. Mm-hmm. If you don't get yeah. <laughs> Hogwarts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just briefly, let's touch on um, Ryan and Celine. Mm. <laughs> um so earlier on in this episode ryan makes a comment about how nice it must be to be woken up by a pretty girl Celine oh, <laughs> takes offense to that and later on the way to the farm he does apologize to her um but he does explain that he's worried about how he could be turned into lex and this explains why he's been so hands-off with her mm-hmm. um yeah, Panna, what did you make of Ryan's confession here? It's nice for him to finally say it out loud. It's what I've been saying, you know, uh, that he was worried about becoming the type of man or guy that, you know, Lex is with women. And it made mm-hmm. a lot of sense for him to decide, no, I'm not just going to be physical with you. Because if I am, then I am no better than him. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have him say it out loud and to see how, how much it softened Celine in that moment. I was like, good, at least you took this the way that you were supposed to take it. You didn't get, you know, defensive mm-hmm. again, like you always do. So it was nice. Sad, poor guy. He's nothing like Lex. So much better. Oh, Ryan, you sweet marshmallow. Mm-hmm. I love you so freaking much. Come here and get my hot chocolate. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Ryan. I think that's a great moment, like mm-hmm. with Ryan confessing mm-hmm. his fear. Ryan does not want to objectify Celine. No. Nope. He does not want to see her as an object, a sexual object, an object of just attraction. He is so scared. Ryan's a virgin. He has never Aww. been mm-hmm. with a girl. And he's afraid that if he suddenly is with a girl, that he will develop this uncontrollable lust that Lex clearly has. Yeah. You know, so if he just avoids it, he'll stay where he is, where he doesn't treat women that way. You know, which again, society often teaches young men that, hey, you're a sex animal. That's what you are. Sorry, you can't (laughs) help yourself, you know? Yeah. I understand why Ryan is thinking, if I just don't do it, I won't end up like that, you Mm -hmm. know? And even that innocent thing of saying, I don't want to be woke, I would love to be woken up by a pretty girl. He's already, like, he doesn't objectify Celine. He doesn't think of her that way. And I get, I get why Celine's like, right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Are you saying I'm not a pretty girl? What the fuck? (laughs) But I I really, this is one of the things that I I know. I know Celine and Ryan piss people off. I get it. Uh No, I know this relationship goes up in flames and I don't begrudge (laughs) anybody for hating it. But these are the moments why I do root for them because, again, they're talking through the issue. Ryan is explaining what he's afraid of and Celine is hearing him like, oh, okay, I get it. That's what you're afraid of. And she's telling him, you never be like Lex. You aren't him. You know, you'll react to sexual relationships very different 
than he will, you know, yeah. than he did, you know, and um, I love that because there's not a lot of shows that ever express the fears that young men have to go through as they're finding their way, you know, mm-hmm. and I love that this is Ryan's fear. I just don't want to become some animal that can't control myself and that hurts you or uses you. You know, I don't want to be that. I don't know how to avoid it. I I don't know how, you know, because society teaches young men that, hey, that's just what you'll be. Sorry. Good luck out there. Don't be don't end yeah. up in jail. <laughs> and, and Lex has more or less told him this is what you do with women. This is how you, you know. <laughs> Like, you know, and I'm I'm glad to see Celine finally listening to him, you know, finally talking, opposed to just being mad and holding a grudge and sulking, because that's what she has done in the past with Ryan. She ups- He upsets her, and instead of speaking to him and telling him what he's done wrong, she just acts a certain way. Ryan! <laughs> exactly. Like, and when he's made that comment about being woke up, he was so innocent. It was such an innocent comment. He had no idea that what he was saying was like a, a slap in the face to Celine. You know? know. Poor Ryan. That poor guy. <laughs> but poor Celine, too. You have to I know. I did. I felt pretty bad for her, too. I'm like, didn't she just wake him up? She did. Mm-hmm. I've been sharing a room with you for last week. What the frick are you saying about me? I Ryan? just got you up this morning. <laughs> I just changed my hair for I you, know. Ryan. I just made it super hot and cute for you, Ryan. <laughs> uh, Lance, even you have to admit that was harsh. Come no, on, Ryan. Come on, Ryan. Is how can it be super harsh when we know it wasn't Ryan's intention to I know, be, but... you know, a an insult to Celine? He's not thinking that way. Celine's yeah, of course. Girl. Oh, he's not thinking. Because, you know, we like gave, we just gave Ryan a pass for making assumptions about Celine and Bray. We have to give Celine a pass for making this assumption about Ryan. It's hard for me to give Celine mm-hmm. a pass considering the way that she acts most of the time. That's my yeah. issue. Ryan doesn't <laughs> yeah, but- act like that. Celine acts like this little spoiled person who hasn't gotten her way when something, you know. <laughs> She's very insecure. I know she if is. She, I know. If it had been Trudy who heard something like that, we would be defending her. We would. We would totally be defending her. We'd be like, of course she's upset. Like, what would you, why would you say that to her? Why would you insinuate that she's not a pretty girl waking you up? Of course, we know Ryan. Ryan Ryan And if Celine knew Ryan at all, she would know that he didn't mean anything. Yes, but Celine is 15 years old. Celine is so insecure. She's super insecure and she doesn't know what Ryan wants from her. This is the boy that she has in her bed who's. Trying to avoid contact with her in a bed. <laughs> All contact with her. It's the hair, Celine. He's afraid of getting poked in the <laughs> eye. I love your hair, Celine, but he's watch- he's watching out for damages, okay? He's terrified of that cornea tear. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> no, I-, I get it. I feel bad for Ryan because he was innocent. He didn't mean anything by it. But I do understand why Celine would be like, what the frick? Yeah. I, mean, no, I, get, I do get days. it, too. You're trying I to say I'm not too. pretty. You already won't touch me, so you're not sexually attracted to me. And I'm having trouble with mm-hmm. it, you know. That's and- why I'm so glad they finally had the conversation. He was finally able to tell her, this is why 
I'm acting the way that I'm acting. Yeah, I'm you so know? scared. I'm so scared mm-hmm. of what sexual contact with you will do to me. I'm afraid yes. it'll turn me into a monster. I've seen what it did to my best friend. He's horrible with women. He treats them terribly. I don't want to be that guy. And I'm afraid maybe sex will turn me into the Hulk. And I yeah. don't know oh. about that, you know? Brian, you're a good man. <laughs> I know, this is petty. I, just, I did uh, hate Celine's little line before that, where she said, "Oh, which dumb thing we're talking about at the moment, Ryan?" Like, exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, Selena. she is not nice. I can't. I'm sorry. She's just not nice to most of the people around her. I know it's petty, but I, I hate save Paxi and Chloe. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't defend that. You guys are allowed. You can have it. Go ahead. <laughs> Celine isn't nice. Though. She's done some abominable things to people, and she gets yeah. away with it. I, exactly. I, I that's my issue. <laughs> But I do like that moment where they actually talk it out. And yes, that's one of the no. reasons I do root for them because Selena and Ryan do at least work through their myriad of many problems. You know, and they at least try. Most of the time, yeah. Most mm-hmm. of the time. They and try then there's out. other times where it's all about what Celine wants. And it's, what, really drama- you know. it's really dramatic when it doesn't need to be dramatic, but they are at least working through those problems. Which is the first step in a healthy relationship, you know. It's not fun to watch them do it, you know, but um, at least they are trying. Did you think it was fair to have that funny scene afterwards of him slipping in the cow muck? <laughs> Man. It lighted the mood. It definitely it did. Mood, I... It felt a bit... <laughs> I love the I... fact that Ryan is a self-proclaimed city boy. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. That's where like, doesn't belong out there. Exactly. When Dal's like, I never thought of you as a city boy. And Ryan's like, well, now I know why I'm a city boy. I love that. <laughs> it gives Ryan such personality. Him talking out loud, like just it's it just really sets the scene. So yeah, him falling in like he did made sense for the scene and for what was happening. Like his his complaining and everybody's like okay and then all of a sudden down he goes again if ryan didn't show like this gives ryan personality yes we we Mm -hmm. love ryan but it's not just because oh ryan is always likable and always does the right thing and always says the right thing no ryan doesn't he's a human being and yep no he doesn't want to be on the freaking farm he doesn't want to have to get up early he's like why are we here this sucks this is uncomfortable we still love ryan I think that's important to set the stage and make a character a person who doesn't like things and like rather than just painting him as, oh, super easygoing and is fine with everything. You know, I like this. I think it's important for Ryan that, yeah, he doesn't want to be on the farm. Like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like the moaning. It's just the the falling and like the buffoon bit I didn't like. I think it's cute. I, I thought it was cute too, and I think that the reason why I thought it was so cute is because of the setup to it. It's you a know, good setup. like yes, the way that he is, you know, complaining and the way that he's talking, and it's like he's trying to, like he's saying the stuff like under his breath, but not under his breath. <laughs> like everybody mm-hmm. can hear it, and then all of a sudden, bam! Like, well, that solidifies it. You definitely don't belong on the farm. Yeah, it's like, like the, it's being the butt of a good-natured joke mm-hmm. compared to a joke that's meant to hurt you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's Ryan's only be picked on by friends who actually care about him. Like, you know, Dallas right. and Selena are just teasing him, but it's not traumatizing the way they're being. They're not being cruel. You know, they're just, it's very lighthearted. And it 
like even though Ryan's the butt of the joke, again, it's not cruel. It's playful. You know, even Ryan can admit, yeah, I fell down in the pig pen, yeah. you know, and yeah. it, it's not meant to make Ryan small or hurt him in the late. Right. You know, it's just playful. You know, yeah, like, it's not meant to lessen his character. Right. It's not to make him a tiny person. It's just mm-hmm. poking fun. And, oh, you're not good at this, Ryan. Ha ha. You know, and it's not right. the way it's not the way Lex has treated him. Exactly. Had Lex uh, been out there, it would have been an entirely different story. Yeah. I'm so glad Lex wasn't out there. Me too. Nobody's trying to diminish Ryan as a person. Right. No, I, just, I get what you guys are saying. It just it does feel like sometimes like, like Ryan is the butt of a lot of physical jokes. You have the the like being kissed by Bob slobbering over, you have the fish joke, you have the feet smelling jokes, you have like falling over. It's just it's I don't know mm-hmm. uh, Maybe I'm reaching with this, but it just feels a bit... No, I, I get what you're saying, too. You know, like, he's not the Lex of the tribe, right? So, mm-hmm. he's not the Bray of the tribe. Um, he's the supporting male lead. You know, so, yeah, he's going to take the brunt of those types of jokes. And I can see why that would be discouraging and, you know, sad to see for a character that's so lovable and wants nothing but the best for everyone. You want to suss out the formula for the antidote? Yeah, but how's that thing going to help I can take snaps of Tysan's setup. If you hadn't noticed, Tysan memorized the formula. Can that thing photograph her brain? No, but if I could get pictures of the secret ingredient, then... Let's go back to the mall, because um, earlier in this episode, we see KC tell Lex about a plan to find out the secret third ingredient to the antidote by using his camera. Um, and he eventually puts it into practice after Alice managed to convince an overworked Tysan to take a break. Um, yeah, panel, we've, we have seen how inventive Casey has been in the past, but like, yeah, was anyone surprised about this new plan? I found it fascinating that Casey has put more thought into all this stuff than Lex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Lex and Casey both want the same thing. They want to know what the antidote is. They want the answer to it. But Lex, he's just mooning about trying to seduce different women to get there. He doesn't actually put any work into actually finding out what the antidote is. Casey because he's not blinded by lust because he hasn't hit puberty yet, actually puts into real thought. How do I get that? How do I get Mm -hmm. the answer to this stuff? And he's the only one who would come up with a productive plan between he and Lex. I just need to get in that room and see what Tysan is using. I need to see Mm -hmm. what the third plant is, and then I'll have an idea. Where Lex is just like, I'll try and sleep with Tysan, and maybe that'll get me where I want to (laughs) get Yeah. PC is having the most intelligent thoughts. I found that so fascinating that even though he's just, he's like a, you know, two thirds Lex's age, he's been smarter about this because he doesn't have any hormones clouding his thoughts. You know, even the question about when, you know, Jack and Ellie come in and talk about what they're doing, Lex brushes it off. Who cares where the virus came mm-hmm. from? Who cares about the answers? It doesn't matter. The adults are dead. KC. He has thought put thought into it. He's just kind of like, yeah, I don't want to be involved. But he also admits there's no money in being involved. But if you find something, I'm in it. And he actually has something very important to say. If I had been involved in releasing this virus, yeah. do you think I would leave evidence of it anywhere? Right. You know, like Casey is thinking so clearly. I'm like, this kid is so damn smart. It's yeah. insane how smart this little boy is. I just want to take that potential and wrap it up and cherish it and nourish it. Um, 
because Lex is just like, nope, I don't give it any thought beyond me. I don't care. And I'm not putting in any effort. But here's KC, just this amazing piece of grass growing through the concrete with mm-hmm. all the promise in the world. <laughs> like this smart little boy. Oh my goodness. I want to know his IQ. I really want to know. <laughs> kid is too smart for his own good. Are you okay? What do you think you're doing? I'm just checking on you. Well, don't! No one is allowed in here without giving me warning. Not even you. Look, Tyson, I'm no scientist. I could watch you all day and have no idea what you're cooking up. You can trust me. Alice, I'm not gonna ask you again. Leave me alone. <coughs> Suit yourself. Can I get you a drink or something for your throat? If you insist. Hot or cold? Whatever you think is best. <coughs> yeah, I would. What did you think of um, Tysan and Alice? Like, mm. was Tysan <laughs> being overly obnoxious? Yes. <laughs> I think Tysan was definitely being a little. Uh, she was being incredibly rude, first of all. Like, this woman is here to protect you, to make sure that you're good, because you are the only person that knows the formula to the antidote. Mm-hmm. You're in here coughing because you probably have the virus because you haven't taken the antidote. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Alice, I, I don't think she's overstepping, you know what I mean, at all. I think Tysan is being incredibly ungrateful. She is, but I kind of feel like Alice is treating Tysan like Ellie. Yes, and yes. I mean, I, yeah, probably because Tysan is behaving like Ellie. Like I was going to say, yeah, yeah. a little child, and she's treated like a little child. Exactly, <laughs> and she is acting like a child. Yeah, yeah. and Alice is used to dealing with little brats, That's right? Like, this relationship between Tysan and Alice reminds me of a foster child finally finding a home with parents who give a damn. Tysan, I. In my opinion, I, I when I picture Tysan's parents and what they were like and what they taught this child, Tysan is not used to anyone giving a damn long enough to actually stick around and actually give her parental attention. Tysan is so good at driving people away. And she does it with everybody she doesn't want to deal with. And they 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 go away. You know, all Tyson has to do is say something weird or obnoxious and people are like yeah i don't want any part of your witchcraft lady you're just a weirdo and it works for her and she's used to that rejection and then here comes alice who no matter what (laughs) tyson does alice is like i've seen it all i've done it all i've dealt with right leaving because my job is to take care of you and this is the first time we've seen tyson really be obnoxious to try and get someone to go away she expected Alice to get tired of her very quickly because everybody mm. does. She yeah. expected, okay, I know she's doing this to protect the antidote, whatever. And then I'll just do some weird, I'll say some weird things to her and she'll leave me alone. And Alice is like, no, I'm taking care of you. That's my job. And so she does everything to push Alice away. And she, to even resorting to acting like a small child, you know? Mm-hmm. And Here's Alice going, I'm not leaving you. I don't know who left you. Somebody left Tysan. And here's Alice like, no, don't you get it? When you care about someone, when you commit to caring about them, you don't leave them because they're annoying. You know, we've seen Alice, we've seen Tysan do that to other people. 
She tried to fix Lex, and as soon as it didn't work, she immediately quit. She was like, screw him, can't fix him. Mm -hmm. It's like, Tyson, you only gave the guy two days to become a better person. <laughs> Commit to it. Here was Alice with that from two days. Right. Alice is teaching Tyson when you care about people, you don't give up on them immediately, no matter how annoying they are. And here's that's what Tyson's doing. She's trying, she doesn't know what to do with this person who's like, no, I'm here. I care about you. I'm committed to caring about you. And so Tyson, she's resorted to acting like a small child. She's throwing a tantrum. Leave me alone. Thinking mm -hmm. that's what's supposed to work. And Di Alice is like, no. I said I'm your, I'm your bodyguard. Your body is my concern. And you're coughing. I'm here. And I just find that very interesting because this is the process of Tyson learning what it means to be cared for by somebody. And she's obviously never had it. She doesn't know what to do with this. She can't no. make Alice leave her alone. <laughs> I, I agree with that, you know, but y your past doesn't give you the right to treat people like garbage. Absolutely. And it doesn't give you the right, but it is what people do. I, I know that. And I, I definitely can see, you know, where you're where you're coming from that with, with that, Liz. Um, I just I I don't like Tysan right now. So <laughs> I'm having a hard time, like, uh, justifying the things that she's doing. I'm not thank, saying. Well, thank I'm not you for. Well, I, I know, but thank you for being able to, you know, give me another perspective. Like, I, I don't agree with how Tyson is treating Alice at all. Mm -hmm. I, I'm like, what is your problem, Tyson? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm. For me, I think it's beautiful because it really exemplifies Alice's character, you know, and mm -hmm. what she's teaching Tyson. I'm not saying anything about Tyson being okay. Like her, yeah. This isn't cool. What she's doing, she is being a total brat. You know, she does not know how to handle somebody who actually gives a damn about her. And she lashes out. You know, get away from me. Leave me alone. I don't want you in here. She's so rude. She's so unkind. She's so unfreaking grateful, you know. Mm -hmm. But again, it just gives Alice a chance to be a superstar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, Alice is teaching you how to love. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I'm just like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just part of that relationship that I love so much. <laughs> like, oh, Alice is like, no, I know people have given you up before, but I won't. I said I'm going to be here and I'm going to take care of you. And I meant every word of that. And I honestly don't think Alice is, I mean, uh, Tyson has ever been up against this kind of conviction before. No. I don't think she's ever experienced it. I keep picturing her parents and I'm just like, man, they failed you so hard, baby girl. You know, and here comes Alice. who's just like, I'm going to love you so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to change you at your core. <laughs> Sorry. Was I looking for an ex uh, a chance to gush about Alice again? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it was. Do you need an excuse for that? <laughs> How, how often is this going to happen through season two? Ah, <laughs> uh, the entirety. It's fine. <laughs> What's it like, Trudy? What? Being a mum, being pregnant. It's a bit of a shock at first, but you get used to it. I don't think I could. I suppose it helps if you have the dad to help as well. Not if it's Zoot, what a nightmare. Yeah, but that was Zoot. He was crazy, loco. Even if he wanted to be daddy, would you have let him? No. I was lucky to have Bray. Wonder who she'll grow up to be like. She could be another Zoot. 
Great, that's all we need. Before we get to the chosen, just uh, I just want your opinion on this next scene because to me it felt quite heavy-handed, like a heavy-handed reminder. But let me see what you thought. So at the mall, Chloe talks to Trudy about suddenly having Brady and about Zoo. Um, yeah, what did you kind of think of that exchange? Like, do you think it was like a, a heavy-handed reminder about the relationship of Trudy and Brady and Zoo, or do you think it was like a like? What do you think of it? I mean, it definitely set the, it's going to set things up for, you know, things in the future. And I think mm. they had to circle back to that to remind everybody, you know, of the importance of that relationship and mm. the importance of the, the Trudy Zoot Brady dynamic, you know, um, because we about what we're what we're about to get to experience, you know. Um, was it a little heavy handed? Maybe. <laughs> like, I, I, my first thing when Trudy said no, she wouldn't have let him be a father was, but wait a second. That's not what I remember in season one when Zoo mm. came to the ball, you know? For me, it always felt like with Trudy, she even says, well, yeah, Martin was different. Martin, for her, Martin and Zoo were two separate yeah. entities. Yeah. And she would have never let Zoo be a father to Brady, but if he had gone back to being Martin the way he used to be, mm-hmm. she might have. Oh yeah, I can she see entertained that, yeah. that. She entertained that idea, especially when she was at risk of being kicked out by Lex and needing a safe space for her and the baby. That's that was why she entertained it. But what did she say when he came? And he's like, "You're going to come back with me." She's like, "You have to stay here." Yes. Yeah. So I agree because with you, she, and she was like, yes. "I won't let Zoot be a father to this child." No. But if you're, you're right, cool your jets and be yeah. here and be Martin. You can be a part of her life. Yeah, yeah. it was all about wording. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not running off with the locos and you. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, so I definitely agree with you, Sabine. Like she was never going to let Zoot be the father of her child, but she let Martin do it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the, you know, like like I said, wording on the situation, Zoot yeah. Martin. Like, they are technically two different characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you look at it that way, then yeah, I, I completely agree. She's like, get a job and pay child support. <laughs> right. Talk about this. Yeah. She remembers him as that sweet boy, you know, for her, Brady's father is the sweet boy she met in class that was in class with her that she had to dance with, and she tries to separate that from who he was as Zoot. Yeah. I also really like this. I think this is another one of those just great conversations that's written by James Wiley. I think, again, just a really good screenplay this episode. Um, there's so much set up and covered in this episode. You know, you mm-hmm. cover the ground of reestablishing Zoot, Trudy, Brady, what that's all about. That's really well done. It's done very mm-hmm. organically. It would be natural for Chloe, a growing girl, seeing Trudy being mother to her child and asking this question. What was it like being pregnant? What was it like being having her? You know? Yeah. That's a natural question for Chloe mm-hmm. to ask, you know. I like that. I so I, I lo- really love how organically she ends up in this conversation and what you know Trudy's saying. It's also nice to see Trudy getting past the slut shaming guilt that she had in season one over ever ever being with zoot where she's at peace with like yeah i did i did that they were different people you know i'm sad that he became this person but i'm no longer ashamed that i was ever with him you know um 
There's also she was with Martin, not Zeus. Right. She was with Martin <laughs> and she accepts that he changed. And she's not gonna feel bad about that anymore. Because in season one, she was made to feel terrible. Yes. She'd she ever was. done this, you know. And mm-hmm. look. How could she have a child with Zoot? Right. Yeah. And it's like, look, you yeah. people didn't know who he was. Okay. No. He was a very different young boy. Her honest reflection that he changed, he was different, you know. I like that. Um, and I like that she just stands up and says, no, I wouldn't have let Zoot raise this Brady with me. I would have done it by myself. Screw it. You know? And, but my favorite part of this organic conversation is how it leads into the, this huge conflict that's coming where Chloe just Mm -hmm. innocently suggests, Hey, we have the resources. Why don't you hire someone to look after Brady? It's so innocent. And it's like, holy crap. What a catalyst that suggestion mm-hmm. is going to be yeah and, yet, and when you watch the show for the first time you have no idea you have no idea no clue i love it mm-hmm. i love how organically this conversation happens mm-hmm. and all of the purposes it serves you have yes. no idea that in that moment where chloe is just trying to you know like help out and suggest something like oh wow you know and of course it works because we just saw chloe and patsy flexing their muscles and experimenting with power and then chloe suggests hey there's a way you could use our power you know and yes he's like oh wow that's a really great idea i really could use the help and i'm like Mm -hmm. holy crap yeah it's so innocent too you know it does seem like such an innocent conversation to have that you have no Mm -hmm. clue what's coming Oh, I, I really love this conversation. It's one of my favorites. I'm like, this episode is full of them. James Wiley, good job. Yeah, no, this was definitely a good episode. Better better episode that you know than some of the ones we've had this season. So, so much far. thought is put into what yes. these kids are saying to each other. Yes. There's meaning behind what they're saying to each other. <laughs> and it makes so much sense for Chloe to be the one to have that conversation with Trudy because even though they're around the same age, Chloe has always been more mature about things yes. than Patsy mm-hmm. has. Yes. Exactly. Chloe's like, what? Right. You shouldn't have to ask us to do this. You know, you have to right. do this all the time. Why don't you find someone who could do it all the time and be available to you? You know? Because Patsy would have just been like, sure, I'll take care of the baby. It makes right. way more sense that Chloe would suggest hiring someone to take care yeah. of the baby. I'm like, wow. I also just don't think that that's a, like, this question is a question that Patsy would have thought to ask. No, no, no. Yeah, because Patsy's got that innocence about her, like, oh, there's a baby here. Yep, that's, this is what it is, you know, like. Yeah, I know what that is. Chloe is the one who actually saw Zoot and Bray together. Yes. And she was very confused by what that meant. She's the one who prayed for Zoot after he died. She's tried to reconcile who this young man was. Mm -hmm. So She's why would one. right? Why wouldn't she ask you know Trudy like what was it like mm-hmm. getting pregnant and having this child and how do you feel about who Brady's father is? I'm like this was very thoughtful writing, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like this is a very good conversation happening right here. So organic. I I really loved seeing Trudy come to terms and not feel yeah. ashamed. Yes, you yeah. see that. You see the realization in her head too. You know, in that moment, like, huh? Maybe this isn't something that I have to be ashamed of. Maybe this exactly. Is I can't talk about. You know, like she needed to talk about it. I think. 
Yeah. Because in season one, she does feel a lot of shame about it. She's very mm-hmm. defensive about her choice to sleep with Martin. And, you know, and I'm, I'm like, it's really nice to see her here be like, yeah, this freaking happened. You know what I mean? And yeah. It doesn't make me some horrible person. <laughs> it was just like, he was a different person when I met him. And mm-hmm. then he turned into a monster. And no, I wouldn't let that monster raise my daughter. But I also really love that because it's a foreshadowing that she doesn't want the chosen to raise her child. (laughs) She doesn't want any part of that life. She wasn't on board with it. She's not going to be on board with it. And yet they're coming for the baby. (laughs) (sighs) Poor baby. Really, it's genuine. We all had it and we're fine now. Go on, take some. It's free. Okay, so that leads us to our final thoughts of the episode, um, in which is The Chosen. So, we see our villains make their presence known by gate crashing the meeting of tribe leaders, although they remain silent and leave almost as soon as they have arrived. Um, yeah, Panna, what did you make of this scene? Did you th- find it unsettling, or did you f- think this first meeting was a disappointment? Unsettling. It was very unsettling. I think it was a good setup to show <laughs> us exactly like what this tribe is about, you know? There are no nonsense. It like, made so much sense, though. They're creepy, they're wearing robes, and they're anti-vaxxing. Yes, and, you know, they were he's refusing to show himself, you know what I mean? And yeah. you see the look on Ebony's face when the others pull their, their hats off and their, their, you know, their whatever you want, hoods, when they take yeah, them off. Like, she can she she recognize some of them, yes. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that she doesn't recognize some of those members. <laughs> I love her discomfort. Like, what? No, I don't uh-huh. know they were. <laughs> yeah, like instantly she's like, oh, damn. Come on, she must have put, she must have put two and two together and realized who the tall guy in the white robes The tall was. guy? The little oh. guy, you mean? She well, totally well. knew who left the tribe. Like, yes. she knows who ran off at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she knows who's the kind of person to do this. Yes. He was in Martin's class. Mm. Yeah. As was she. Mm-hmm. As was Trudy. Right. Well, that's why I definitely, you know, believe that she absolutely recognized some of those people. And she was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, definitely had that moment of realization like, mm-hmm. oh, man, we're screwed. This is such a power move by the Chosen. And mm-hmm. in the script, we have just established the Mallrats. We've just established Bray saying out loud, they don't have a choice except to yes. listen to us mm-hmm. or they die. And all of a sudden, this group shows up. One of their own is clearly sick and is offered the antidote, and they don't take it. Yeah. Like, as much as I, I'm not anti-vax, I'm not on board with that, I'm not going to have the argument about it or anything no. like that. But you can't deny there's something incredibly powerful about the mall rats running around basically thinking, we have the power because people are afraid to die without the antidote. And this group saying... No, we won't give up our free will, even if it means death. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Like, think about it. Most stories are usually on the rebels' side. And that mm-hmm. is what the Chosen are in this scene. That's what, what they do is so yeah. powerful. They said, give me liberty or give me death in this scene. I won't take your antidote if it means I have to do what you say. And it's incredibly powerful. Such, oh, honestly, it's eerie. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an emotional Dutch angle, you know? Yeah. Because we've just heard Danny and Bryce saying this. And here comes Danny, all altruistic, 
offer oh, yeah. an antidote. But we know what she means when she offers that antidote. Here, it's free. No, it's not, Danny. It's <laughs> no. not free. You're literally talking to these tribe leaders who are telling you their concerns and their reasons they don't agree with what you're asking for. And you're telling them that, sorry, you have to do what we want. And then you have the nerve to say this antidote is free. It clearly isn't free. You know, it means these people have to give up what they care about to listen mm -hmm. to you. It's not free, Danny. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Ella, I don't mean it personally, but it's not freaking free. It makes no, it's not. And you can see the instant discomfort in <gasps> Lex, or not in Lex, and, and Bray and, and Danny's face. Like, you can see the instant realization, you yeah, know. These people like, are like, oh, no. <laughs> We're not buying or selling. We're not buying your propaganda. It's not free. Because in order to get that antidote... We have to do what you say. And even though, mm -hmm. granted, the Chosen are totally crazy and we shouldn't follow them, there is something to be said about these guys being like, we would rather die than follow you. you yeah. Know? And like, oh, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, it's unsettling. So unsettling and powerful. There's another little point that the Guardian makes later. Yeah, we're not taking that poison because that will block us from our true path to be reunited <laughs> with Zeus. It was totally a test. That was a test. The it whole was. point of that was it a absolutely test. was a it, test. It, it was a test. And on the other hand, it was a way to get all the other people wondering, wait, did they find a way to survive? Yeah. Without taking this antidote, without the Morats having the power? Which Create is what makes Bray and Danny so uncomfortable. Yeah, they're so scared because immediately the other tribe leaders are like, because the other tribe leaders have already expressed that they don't want to follow what Bray and Danny are decreeing. You know, because mm -hmm. Bray and Danny aren't asking their opinion. They're just dictating to them what they have to yeah. do. Mm -hmm. And they've told them, this is part of our identity. And you're telling us to give it up. And you're not giving us an alternative. You're not working with us. And then here comes this group. Who said, screw the mall rats, screw their antidote. And immediately these other tribe leaders disperse. They don't continue <laughs> talking to Brain Dandy. They just freaking leave. That's leave, how unsettled yeah. they are. And they have no clue if these chosen have a way to cure one of their own exactly. without that because they have no clue this person died. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the time this came out, like this came out, what was it, 2000? Which is like a year before 9-11 and the Patriot Act in America. And where people were so afraid. They just were giving up their personal freedoms. And I just think there's just something very cogent about this storyline. You know, um, I don't know what was going on in other countries. Because I'm not smart like that. I'm sorry. And we're just dumb we're Americans. We're dumb Americans. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think this was an accident. You know, this conversation about giving up your personal freedoms for some sort of safety, you know, and again, I think it's a dangerous conversation to have, though, as well. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. very dangerous, very meaningful. But um, it's, it's very impressive that a kid's show was having the conversation. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> Adults weren't ready for this conversation and they're presenting it to children. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Take this. Tell us what you think, you know, like, holy crap. Oh, man. That's that's a really well done scene. Very intense. And I love the fact that Jaffa kills a couple stone birds with the same stone. You know, he tests mm -hmm. his own chosen to see if they'll take the antidote. 
And he also just instills a very eerie fear in the Mallrats and these other leaders by saying that there's actually an option other than what the Mallrats are presenting to them. And um, Mm -hmm. again, because I don't agree with what the Mallrats are doing, you know, and the fact that they're so blind to what they're doing. And then here come the bad guys. Here come the bad guys making such a great point about what the ba- our good guys are supposedly doing and oh, it's a powerful scene i don't know if it gets the credit it deserves you know for what it states and what it's doing and geez it's eerie i love the fact that jaffa is able to command his group with very subtle nods of his head he's not even yeah. speaking you know he just gives a subtle nod and his group immediately <laughs> Days. That is so scary. The mall rats it's terrifying. Can't, can't get anyone in the mall to do anything the right way. And this guy, all he does is nod his head. And these guys are synchronized swimmers as they remove their helmets. I'm like, jeez. One of the one of the few people we've seen so far who can command people like that was Ebony in the beginning. Yeah. Just by giving people a look, they would do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the guardian doing even less and having more effect. Good scene. Good scene. Yeah, I I don't have much more to say (laughs) at this point just because of considering the times that we're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't don't say anymore. I do like the comment you guys made when we weren't recording about how they're anti-vaccine but they're not anti-mask. Oh yeah. (laughs) Josh was like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, nope. They're they're not, they're (laughs) anti-vax but, and I go, but those are ineffective masks. (laughs) Right. Like those are not proper masks. No, those are not proper. There's holes. Sorry, bud. Hey, they thought they were filtering. Filtering what? What <laughs> exactly? The bees? <laughs> How big does that bacteria have to be not to get to that mask? <laughs> yeah, it's just very powerful dialogue. Very good scene. I again, James Wiley. Well done. Just that final shot, like, what did, what did, how did you guys initially take when you discovered that the chosen member had died? I wasn't surprised. I mean, it definitely what happens. solidified that, that, that Jaffa was testing them. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. oh my um, gosh. You know, and then the pyre, you know, burning his body on that pyre. And, like, it, it, it just shows even more religious symbolism. Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah, it was it was it was a little freaky. It was a little scary. It's like, okay, this guy is dangerous. Jaffa's mm-hmm. pleasure at having mm-hmm. one of his brethren pass. Yes, past. and I mean, if you okay, you could nitpick it. You could be like, this person wasn't wrinkled enough to be dying of the virus. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. You could even insinuate that this person took their own life because they didn't show. They hadn't shown the advanced stages of the mm-hmm. virus. Whatever. It's just the point that Jaffa has gotten what he wanted. Yes. It's already so uncomfortable that Jaffa is... There's no remorse. There's no sadness that he has for this young person who's just freaking died. There's no sadness anywhere, which is really unsettling. Nobody is sad that this young person has just died when they were literally handed medicine that would have saved their lives and said they're rejoicing and of course anybody who's an adult and understand what cults are we all know that is the message you know and it's Mm -hmm. so freaking creepy like if i didn't 
I, I thought the Chosen were nice and I liked their chanting and I liked their robes and I wanted to go to their island with their flowers and their chanting. And now I'm just like, no, Jim Jones, stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you scare me. Scary. You scary. <laughs> I pee my pants now. Thank you. I am peeing my pants. Absolutely. <laughs> you are scary. All of Keith, I just see this young person, this young man. It stays with me. It's cemented into my brain. This young person who had salvation handed to him, but because his leader had already brainwashed him into saying no to it, and he's dead. He was happy to go. And I'm like, this is Cats the Musical. This is so unsettling. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh what a comparison. I liked cats. Thank you very much. <laughs> cats is a cult. Jellicles are a cult. <laughs> oh, it's so well done and creepy. And but you want to know what I think is even creepier? It's what huh. Danny says to the mall rats when they're talking about the chosen. What does Danny say when they ask, "Well, how did the meeting go?" Blah blah blah. Danny does not say we got everyone to agree. You know, we got everyone mm -hmm. on board. She says, we got what we wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Are the Mallrats any better than the Chosen at this point? Ooh. No, they're not. That's why it's so disappointing. We got what we wanted. You mean you got what you wanted, Danny? It didn't matter what anyone else felt. It, we weren't actually trying to cooperate. We're not trying to work with people. We got what we wanted. Oh, Danny, you evil. <laughs> exactly. That's why. <sighs> Are we sure at this point in time she isn't actually sneakily working with the Chosen? That's Old dressed in white. It's such a great false flag. It's a great false flag. Oh, man. So, Is there I, something wrong with her? It made me so uncomfortable hearing her say that. Like, of all the things that you would get from that meeting with the other tribe meet, like, leaders, what Danny says, the most important thing is we got what we wanted. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> this whole episode is about, this isn't about cooperation. This isn't about working with other people, <laughs> getting what you want from them. And I'm just like, you guys don't even realize you're the bad guys. That's the thing is, I think Danny does. Like, I think she yeah. knows what she's doing. She just doesn't care. Exactly. She just doesn't care because doesn't she's care. only concerned about her redemption. Mm. It's very self-serving. Danny, you, you didn't create the virus. Your dad was the idiot. It wasn't you. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing, honey? This isn't your responsibility. I don't know. I just, I think this writing, this episode writing is so on point. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Because it makes you dislike the characters that are meant to be disliked. It makes you question certain characters, you know, in ways that you may not have questioned them before. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so nice to finally have that Considering how quickly we've rushed through These first six episodes, seven episodes mm -hmm. You know absolutely. It's very thoughtful It's so yes. thoughtful These conversations, the points they're meant to make They serve many different purposes And they're all something you're supposed to think about And they're still enjoyable Even if you're watching it as a ten year old You mm -hmm. know like, yeah, but it's been seven episodes in the season and so much has happened already. So much has happened. I agree. I agree. The yeah. pace is, man, they picked up the pace. It went from like one to four. Like, just, it, yeah. Well, the frig down. You, know, you didn't just double the speed, you quadrupled the speed. Yeah. 
it's kind of though you know how like with season one where the first half is so slow and it's so drawn yeah. out and then you get into the second half or the last quarter of the, of the season and things start moving faster and like they just kept that pace but then doubled it <laughs> i i do think it's interesting like what you said season one is at one speed and then the third half goes at 1.5 and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden season two is at three speed you're like slow yes. down mm-hmm. i can't yes. keep up with what's being said absolutely that brings series two episode seven to a close thank you very much to the panel and if you'd like to take part in a future episode of Conversation League of Mountain, then you can fill out the form over on our website, thetrab.co.uk, or send us a message on our Facebook page. So we'll see you next time for episode eight. Until then, bye. 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 bye.